Peace be with you. We're really lopsided. <laughs> Towards the back, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's all right. Um, uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, thanks also uh, to Luca, my son, who reminds me in the morning, is like, did you go get donuts? Uh, and so you can thank him uh, as well. Uh, let me begin uh, with prayer. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, Lord, our rock and Savior. Amen. Uh, speaking of kids, uh, we've, we've got three of them, and, and they like to ask difficult theological questions. Um, a couple of years ago, Lyndon, uh, well, maybe, probably many years ago, I mean, time seems to travel with, with kids, uh, but Lyndon was asking Nicole, my wife, uh, is Jesus in my heart? And so this is kind of like a softball uh, question. And, and Nicole said, yeah, yeah, you, you mean Jesus is in your heart. And then she, she proceeded to continue to ask, well, is Jesus in my stomach as well? And, and to that, Nicole said, well, your dad's the theologian. <laughs> ask him. Uh, and, and sadly, I don't have any better answers than probably she would come up with. Uh, a little, not that long ago, also, uh, Liesl, our, our second daughter, was asking if God was bigger uh, than the sky, uh, to which, uh, again, Nicole said, ask your dad. Uh, these are great questions, uh, and I wonder when we stop asking them on our journey of faith, um, or at least when we stop asking them out loud. Uh, are we asking these same kinds of questions? Uh, and I, I say that because as life goes on, we accumulate ideas about God, um, theologies, speculations. Uh, one of those being like the idea that God is everywhere, such that he is bigger than the sky and yet as close as a soft breeze. And we talk about God being omnipresent, omnipresent. So we use this really kind of academic term, this idea uh, that God is everywhere. Uh, but however, it, it might be, uh, and this is maybe a hypothesis of mine, is that as we begin to place God everywhere, in so doing, we get lulled into the posture that we don't have to wrestle with him in a concrete, particular place. Um, he's just everywhere. And by being everywhere, he's not necessarily here in particular. And I think that's that's a question for us to ponder today. And at the same time, so I mean, at the same time that some, some of us uh, accumulate this kind of posture, uh, we sometimes hold on to or remember spiritual experiences that we had, um, maybe in our youth. I remember at the MLK breakfast uh, a week ago, uh, they, we sang the song, Take Me Back. Take me back to when I first believed. Right? There's, in in, in that, that song, there's a sense that we have of, of, of a time we're wanting to kind of return back to, an experience that we might have had, a, a, a flame that maybe has waned, um, that we're still kind of searching for. And so for some of us, we kind of also have this kind of posture, this idea uh, that our spiritual journey is 
is an attempt to return to a particular moment when we felt or experienced God's presence and we no longer do. But we sometimes either anxiously, frantically try and kind of hit a, find a way to hit a replay button. Take me back. I want to feel your presence. I remember that one time, right? Um, and so in a way, uh, we place God sometimes conceptually everywhere, which sometimes seems like we're placing him far away. And yet at the same time, we're often groping for an experience of God close by that seems to at the same time elude us. Uh, and so this takes me back to the questions that my kids are asking. Where is God? Uh, where is Jesus? Uh, it's a question we're always, all I think, always kind of asking, maybe not out loud like the kids are. And so we're going to explore those que- that question and these ideas this morning by pondering the particular promise that God is present to us in communion. I'm also reading John Wesley's the sermon the duty of constant communion. I'm teaching a free Methodist uh, Wesleyan theology class, so it's kind of like a signed reading, mandatory reading. Um, and it's a good reading for us to kind of think about how John viewed the presence of God um, on the altar and how it's a duty for us to kind of commune uh, continually. So I want to begin our ponderings with the presence of God, but we're going to do that by starting with the tabernacle. And as I go through this, I've done this before, right? I bring my toys, and I'm going to, to... That's why it's like, it's a little bit lopsided, but Jade has like a magic trick uh, that's going to make what I do here. It's like you can see, here there I am. That's the back of me. Uh, and she's going to be able, for you, uh, those of you who are in the back, to help see okay, a little bit more what's going on here in the front. So to do this, uh, as I walk through this, I'm going to go slowly and tell a story. And I want us to start thinking about the tabernacle. I'm not going to go through all the, I mean, Exodus chapters 25 to the end and, and all of the intricacies of everything that goes on here and what God is saying about the tabernacle. But I, wa- I, ho- I hope that the gaps... Uh, allow you to participate actively in wondering, I mean, developing your own questions as I kind of just give the kind of a bare bones narrative here. All right? I want you to actively wonder and ponder like it's Sunday school. Okay? So think about it. If you have place in your, in your bulletin, write down notes about, I wonder why this. How's that connected to God's presence? All right? Actively play. All right? No passive church when we're playing. Okay? Uh, so, this is a desert box, and it weighs a ton. And I don't know how I, I mean, traveling it, I, I, was, I thought for sure I was going to dump it in the middle of the, the aisle here, bring it up. But this is a desert box, and you just need a little bit of sand and desert to help us kind of take us to the wilderness. Right? When Israel was wandering uh, the wilderness with God. And in the wilderness, in this kind of desolate space, God promised to be with 
Israel and live amongst them in the wilderness. And he gave Moses some, a vision of what the heavenly tabernacle uh, is and said, can't duplicate it. And he, and he told Moses, this is how you should put it together. And this tent, uh, Moses talks about these four coverings. And, and the Hebrew word for these coverings uh, is, is, is unique here in this instance because it's the same for kind of a human garment. So, so God is saying, put the, these garments uh, over this tent. Make, make this tent out of these garments. And I think that just, I mean, something to ponder and wonder as we go on. There's four layers, four luxurious fabrics that cover the ark. And Moses goes in detail in all of them, and some of them have gold and, and special weavings uh, that are part of them. And as I peel back the kind of the four garments of this luxurious fabrics, uh, you see what's kind of inside the tabernacle. Right? In the tabernacle, you had two rooms. And in this, this room was called the Holy of Holies. Now, in the Holy of Holies, this, this room is where God's presence resided, where the glory of the Lord resided. And there was a particular special item that's inside the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is this, this box, this gold box, that is called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items inside. All right, do you guys know, can you name, name one item? Aaron's rod, yes. The jar of manna, right? So there was a jar inside here of manna. And what was manna? What is it? That's what, I mean, that's what it means, literally, what is it? But it was, the, it was the way in which God had nourished Israel in the wilderness with this kind of bread of heaven. And they collected it, put it in a jar, sealed it up, put it in here. What else is in this box? The Ten Commandments, right? And so these three items, really important items, kind of in here to help the Israelites remember what God has done and that God is with them, were in this ark. And the ark was in the Holy of Holies. And this ark acted in some ways as God's throne, God's chair, where he resided. And a high priest would enter there once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This other room was called the Holy Place. And in the Holy Place, you also have some important furniture. And, and Moses really goes into detail about all of these things. And it's repeated at three times in Scripture with detail, how to put these things together. In there, there is the menorah, I mean this, this golden candelabra, which offers light uh, for this room. There's also the, the altar of incense. And the altar of incense would be uh, ignited. The priest would go into the holy place more frequently, and when they are praying the prayers of Israel, uh, it would go up with uh, the incense here in the holy place. And then you'd have uh, this golden table, uh, the table of the presence of God. And on this table... On this table, 
the priests would be continually baking bread. But what you need on this table are 12 loaves of bread. And these are to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And I don't know if this is the right proportion because these breads are filling up this table kind of it's like really big bread or really small table. I don't know which one it is. But here, what you have here are the bread of the presence or also called the bread of the face. And on this table would be kind of a jug of wine. It's really good that we have this uh, on the screen because it's really hard to see if it weren't. These are kind of smaller figures. Now, the Israelites were required to come to the, the temple or tabernacle three times a year. And when the tabernacle became the temple with kind of Solomon, the priests would take the table of the presence and the bread of presence and they would walk it outside so the Israelites could see. Right? So they, they, I mean, it has these poles and it had the bread. And it, they would say, yell out, Behold the love of God for you. Behold the love of God for you. They would take what is holy and only kind of seen by the priests and make sure that the table was walked out so that Israelite could see and witness the love of God. And it's a table with 12 loaves and a jug of wine. So this is God's living room. This is God's bedroom. Let's go to the kitchen. All right. God's kitchen had a basin of water for, for washing and then had um, an altar of fire, which was where kind of the sacrifices would be cooked. And, and burned and prepared. And this is uh, our, our priest. So if you think this is the way in which God said, I am going to be present with you in the wilderness. And so if you asked an Israelite the question that we began with this morning, where is God? What are they going to do? They're going to point. They're going to say, there's God. God's here. Now, they knew God was also in heaven. They also knew that God was not just I mean, only here. But in God's promise to be with Israel, God had made a particular exemption or, or, uh, yeah, to be with them in this way, in the tabernacle. So this is, this is uh, the one story. Now, I want to tell another story. And this story is, starts with the Gospel of John, and, and Adrian read from John chapter 6. But the Gospel of John begins with a declaration that the Word of God became flesh. So in verse 1, 14... John tells us the word became flesh and most of your translations will say dwelt among us. Now the term dwelt there means tabernacled, right? 
So the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus is the tabernacle, the incarnate presence of God on earth. And so this is the background to the kind of some of the story that we're, we heard and I'll tell here uh, around Jesus in chapter 6, and which takes place in Capernaum. So, we can't fast forward. This is, this is Capernaum with the Sea of Galilee, all right? And you just need a little piece of it to help us tell the story. But this is, this is Capernaum. Now, at this time, there was Jesus, and the Word made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And he said so many amazing things and did so many wonderful things that people followed him. And they were called his disciples. And here we have three disciples that are following him. In Capernaum was a synagogue. And here... It's kind of the outlines of a synagogue, and we'll just use that to, to represent what's going on here. And what was going on is that uh, at this time, Jesus is in Ga- the region of Galilee, but John tells us that it's the Passover. It's a feast. So at the same time that uh, Jesus is, is here in the synagogue, uh, Israelites are celebrating the Passover at the temple. All right? Uh, I wonder, right, if, if some of, thinking of some of this conversation that we heard read, it's also the same time when priests are taking out a table, right, with bread. I wonder, right? So Jesus is here in Capernaum, and Jesus and his disciples go into the synagogue. They walk in like this. And they enter in, and there's many other people in here, and, and, and Jesus starts teaching. Jesus starts to teach about the bread of life. And many people are interested, in, and, and the Pharisees are also interested. And so the Pharisees come as well. And they enter into the synagogue to listen to Jesus' words. And... I don't know why, but the Pharisees have like square heads. It's just the way it happened to be. Um, and the Pharisees, when Jesus is talking about the bread of heaven, they have an idea of what they're talking about. They're thinking about, okay, manna uh, in the wilderness, right? It's the, it's the bread that their ancestors ate in the wilderness and was preserved in the ark. Jesus starts saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, the, the, The Pharisees are confused. And they're not so sure about it. 
They're not so sure about this teaching and what Jesus is saying. What does it mean that he is the bread that came down from heaven? And Jesus sees that they're confused, and he goes and doubles down. And he tells them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever chews this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. It's interesting, the translations that we have don't show the way in which Jesus changes words for eat. And so from verse 54 on, Jesus says, well, John tells us that Jesus is saying trogon, which is choose. I don't know what to do with that, but it's kind of fun to wonder and ponder. It's like, why is Jesus saying choose my flesh? So this is what Jesus says. Whoever chews this bread will live forever. Now this made the Pharisees really angry. You know, they're like, yeah, no, not good. So really angry. Um, and they're like, we cannot, we don't eat flesh. This is against all the Levitical laws to eat humans. But Jesus responds to them, truly, truly, I tell you, unless you chew my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood real drink. Those who chew my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. By eating this bread and drinking this drink, I nourish you and live with you. This bread is more special than the bread your ancestors received in the wilderness. They ate that bread and they died. But whoever eats this bread will live forever. At this, the Pharisees left. They could not hear anymore. They were upset and angry with Jesus. And not only did the Pharisees leave, but there were some disciples that also left. And Jesus was feeling more and more alone. These teachings were too hard for them to understand. And this broke Jesus' heart. Because Jesus wants to be very close to us. God wants to be very present to us and close to us, to abide in us. Jesus wants to be our friend and wants to be present to us as a friend. But this means him having to be vulnerable. A vulnerable friend through his flesh. And this is tough love. The love of God is tough love. God has chosen us to live in a communion, to live in friendship. And so Jesus turns to the disciples that remain and he asks them and he also asks us one of the saddest questions in all of Scripture. Will you leave me too? Will you leave me too? I want to be so close to you. I want to nourish you. I want to give you life, eternal life. 
but will you leave like everyone else leaves? You see, Jesus wants to be present. He wants to abide in us. And to be so close and nourishing that he gives us himself as our food to eat. So when we take communion, when you take communion, you are saying, yes, I want to be a friend of God. I want to live and be transformed by Jesus' presence. I want to be a friend at God's table and a friend to God's friends around me. You see, God is forever, eternally, with and toward us. God is journeying toward us, ever closer. He comes to us and he tabernacles. Not just in the Old Testament or in the gospel stories, but today, here at the table with this bread and this drink. This is the truth. This is real food. This is real drink. This is what God has always been doing to be with us. And so I wonder, and I hope you're wondering, I hope you're, you're wondering and coming up with more questions I wonder what it is we do and how we participate in the presence of God when we come to the altar, when we receive a piece of bread and we dip it in drink. It might not feel like that one moment in high school or in college when I was on fire, you know, shaking everything in worship, you know. It might not feel like that. And God's presence was there. But when we come to the table, we come confidently knowing that God has promised to be present in this particular way for us. And it's a gift. And it nourishes us and gives us life. Um, God's presence always seems to revolve food. And Jesus is talking about food, and here's food and food. It's the way we get to know one another, right? Sharing bread, breaking bread. So, the questions of childhood are the deepest theological questions I think sometimes we can explore. Or at least they provoke this, 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 these musings. And sadly, sometimes we, ask, we stop asking them. Where is God? Ask it with me today. Where is God? Now, if you ask the Israelite where God is, right? He'd point to the tabernacle or the temple. Yes, God was in heaven, but he had promised to reside at a particular place, a particular address. If you ask us, the church, where is Jesus? Where is God? We will answer that he's in many places, in our hearts in the way that only God can be, but he has promised in a particular way to all of us that he will be present to us in the bread and drink on the altar. There Jesus is in a way that he has promised to be intimate and present to us. God makes us friends at the table 
And so now let us enter into his presence by eating this bread, which is his flesh, and drinking from the cup, which is his life. I'm going to go down here and start uh, kind of, well, praying and preparing for the Eucharist. And as I do that, just, I want you to continue pondering and wondering this promise, the promise of God's presence for us. Let us pray. Holy God, whom neither earth nor heaven can contain, we gather around the mystery of your grace. You called your chosen people to abide with you in covenant and steadfast love. And through them you called all the peoples of the earth to know your name and come before you in godly fear. When your children wondered if you would indeed dwell upon the earth, you embodied and renewed your covenant in the flesh of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you, Lord. Faithful God, there is no one else to whom we can go. There is no one else to whom we can go. We say with Peter, you alone have the power. You have the words of eternal life. Your son promised that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood abide in him and he in them. So sanctify your people that they may come to believe and know that you are the Holy One. And send down your Holy Spirit on this bread and this cup that they may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who at supper with his disciples took bread and gave you thanks. And he broke the bread. And he gave it to them, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus gave us his most intimate prayer, and we pray it together now. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.